Doing, man that sounded great good oh thanks man yeah doing all right it was dreamy so, yeah yeah i'm here to drone out <laughs> well so, let's drone out with uh, phil of caspian i'm chris keys for from your guitar and uh we're gonna talk gear so i think the best place to start is uh what you're playing with and i can't really see so i don't know if that's uh, the one that you've coined excalibur or if that's the one behind the wall behind you your parts jazz oh yeah team. uh yeah, that's the Frankenstein back okay. there. Um, and then this, which is out of your shot, is uh, my brand new my brand new guy. Oh, okay. Um, maybe a couple years old at this point. So this is a, a Fender American Professional Limited Edition Jazzmaster. And um, I love this thing, man. It's just got this beautiful uh, pine, cooked pine body, reclaimed wood. It's super lightweight, but it still possesses a lot of great resonance, which I was kind of surprised by. Mm -hmm. um, I got this three years ago up in New Hampshire, and I, always, I developed a thing for offset guitars somewhere around like 2003, 2004. I was playing Strats, Pauls, uh, just like a bunch of different stuff, but I, I gravitated towards offsets just purely for like aesthetical purpose only, you know? <laughs> like, I'm a, tall, I'm a tall drink of water, so like if I pick up a, a telly, I make it look like a mandolin or something, <laughs> you know, like just the headstock. Something's just kind of off about it. Um, so I, I encountered these guitars. Yeah, basically just, uh, I, I thought they were sexy. I thought they looked cool. And then I just, like most of my gear, and then we'll probably get into this, um, I just kind of ended like subordinating it to whatever vision I had for our music or what like we wanted to do with songs and what I wanted to sort of articulate sonically. So. That said, I picked up that first. Um, maybe I could just start with this. Yeah, I think we want to. I want to hear second. about this because I've I've seen on Reddit uh, AMAs and other things where you've alluded to a story or a backstory of the guitar, but you've never really dip, dove into it. And I'd love to hear either what is special about this guitar or how you got it. And because I know it's not a Fender. Yeah. I know it's a parts guitar. Yeah, it's well. Yeah, it's a strange. Again, it's a Frankenstein. I could, I guess, I could give you like the potted history of it, because I mean, the, the story itself is so long, um, and th there's a lot of cool little nuances to it. But like I said, when I was discovering offsets, I encountered this on eBay. I was just scrolling through, and it got to that point where I was scrolling through like so fast that I was just everything was becoming a blur. And then all of a sudden, I scrolled past this, and then it was like, well, I scrolled back to look back up at it and get a closer look. And you know, after interrogating it a little bit, like I just thought it was a, a gorgeous instrument, um, and I wanted to know more about it. So I contacted the seller, and 
He put this together from stock Warmoth parts, so the body is um, swamp ash. I think it's like some kind of alder or something. Um, he had different pickups in this. I've swapped the pickups out at this point. He originally wanted this to be like a, he had a piezo pickup, so he wanted it to be like half acoustic, half electric, which I didn't really have much need for. Like I'm a, I'm a Stone Gossard fan and everything, but like that's just a little, <laughs> it's like a step, a, a step too far for me. Um, it did have the tuning and volume knobs on it when I originally got it, but over the years, I think it was five or six years ago, I was down with a luthier in Boston whose name is totally eluding me. And I was like, you know, I don't need them, they're in the way. I'm just like ripping my pinky up every single night, just smashing it on these knobs. And I never touch them. If I do, it's just like an anxious twitch or something. Mm -hmm. So I took those out, took, uh, this was, this section was actually um, an on-off. So once I took the PZO out, I put in these two uh, Soapbar P90s and that gave it this really interesting like Tom Morello on-off thing so I could do like some twitchy stuff with it. Anyway, the neck pickup is a modern output Soapbar P90 and then the bridge one is just a uh, it's one of their vintage like standard classics. So when it's in the middle position, it's a kind of this nice blend of like modern and vintage with it. So it was, it was like, I didn't, it was really biting. It had a lot of low end. It had a lot of like, I occupy like a low mid frequency thing a lot in our band, which I'll also get to, I'm sure when I get to mm -hmm. pedals. But when this was toggled in the middle, um, there was just something about it that really that chewed up a lot of a lot of good space that that we needed to have. I also obviously removed the um, the toggle because I just didn't need it. So it's it's pretty bare bones right now. The story basically, I mean, the guy that built it was a collector, super um, super just like guitar whiz guy from Western Mass from the Berkshires, and I had not started Caspian yet. I'd started jamming with Calvin, our guitarist, and we hadn't we hadn't even found a bass player or a drummer yet, but. I was talking about my influences and like, you know, I was kind of, I started with Zeppelin, that was my thing. Mm -hmm. I was just a Jimmy Page worshiper. And then it kind of went into, you know, I got into grunge rock and um, a little bit of hardcore. Then I went through this crazy Brit rock phase where people like Nick McCabe from The Verve, um, Johnny Marr, uh, even Noel Gallagher to a certain extent, just like the simple way that he would use delays. Um, I was talking to him about like this crazy trajectory I'd had and I'd just stumbled across post-rock music, Visa Visa, Godspeed You Black Emperor. And we were just really vibing, we were having a really good conversation about it. And there was this some kind of bond I felt to this instrument. And he said, well, you know, the, the auction is gonna end within a couple days. It's probably gonna be yours, no one's bid on it. It's all good. So I bid my time and then five hours before the auction was gonna end, some homeboy just hit him up and was like, yo, I want that guitar, I'll give you a thousand bucks. Now I had put down like $250 for it. And he called me up, he's like, what, how much can you give me? Because like, I want you to have this guitar, but this dude's offering me a grant and I need the money. And I was like, dude, I have $265 like to my name. Um, 10 of which I'd have to spend on gas to get out to where you're at. So I, dude, you just, just sell it, do your thing. 
God bless all the best. And he was like, no, I'll give it to you for 150 bucks. Oh, wow. So he like, so he dropped the price, drove out, picked it up from him. Wish I could remember his name on the odd chance that he's watching this right now. Many thanks to that guy because this is, this was my mainstay for, I don't know, 11 years. Um, I just didn't use another guitar. I'm kind of like a one woman guy like that, I guess, with my guitars. I don't have this crazy huge collection, this arsenal. Kind of just find one guitar, stick to it, beat the crap out of it. When we get in the studio, I use whatever is on hand, and we're lucky to be at places like Q Division and Studio 4 with Will mm -hmm. Yip, where he, he has an amazing arsenal of stuff, and I know that that's there, but I don't have to, like, I don't know. When we're on the road, I just like having one guitar that is, like, focus all my attention on, and that was this for a long time. And, you know, when I got that deal from him, it was, like, too good to be true, <laughs> so... That's, that's that's how I knew it was for me, man. That's like so yeah. That's 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 him putting karma out in the world. Right. That that's for sure. Yeah, with, without a doubt. And all our all our first shows. I mean, that was where I sort of cut my chops uh, tonally and sonically, and was trying to carve out a place for me with our music. Was all with that guitar because it behaves so differently in so many different rooms. Um, it's just it's a fascinating instrument, and it'll always it'll always have a special place in my heart. What do you like? That said, I was say, what do you like about the P90s on the old one versus the uh, the Jazzmaster pickups in your new one that you're you're currently bonding with? Yeah, yeah. So the pickups in this one, in the uh, American Professional, are the Fender V Mod single coils, which I, I like them. Uh, they're very bright, okay. like they have a you know. They're really crispy, they're very jangly, which is what you would expect from a jazz master. But again, the way that we sort of structure our music, what we've always tried to accomplish sonically is like, we have our low ends, and that's an essential, a massive part of our sounds. And that was something that we, we committed to early on because a lot of post-rock bands, back when we started, like explosions in the sky, um, a lot of bands like that, like low end wasn't really a feature because they had three guitars. I think one of the guys in that band played like baritone guitar. So it gave them a unique sound, but we really want to commit to like, you know, big thumping low ends. Like we were massive attack fans and stuff like that, like dubbier shit. Um, anyway, what I'm doing is like, not all of the time, but most of the time, I'm kind of occupying this low mid-range frequency so that you know someone like Aaron or Johnny can sort of dance on top of what the rhythm section and you're I like am the bedrock. So this, yeah, I, I try to be. I try to be like the mattress yeah, or something. I like you that. know what I mean? That they can all <laughs> that they can all jump around on, or like, like I don't know, the, the pizza crust or something <laughs> like that. But like, um, now granted, like I'll have my moments where I, I do you know really textural, sharp, precise. Um, you know, more more trebly based stuff, but I found myself just doing a lot of low riffing, and that just came from listening to a lot of ISIS and bands like that that were like really again committing to riffs, committing to like the sludgier side of things, um, but not really being a metal band. It was kind of interesting to juxtapose all of those different sounds together, and when I found my place, though those like those P90s just occupy that perfectly. You know, they don't have a ton of clarity, but I mean, they're super meaty. They're, they're really like, 
they are that big, wide, like king-size mattress. Where these are kind of more, um, I don't know, they're a little more like those ornate pillows or something that you would see like on the bed that like maybe grandma stitched or something like that. What? You know what I mean? I, but that's... Well, yeah. I was going to say, I know that you mentioned before uh, about the Les Paul. Um, I'm curious if, uh, what made you, it was specifically just aesthetic to leave the Les Paul for, for the Jazzmaster? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, the Les Paul was a product of my Jimmy Page yeah. obsession. Like, I, I saw, I saw, I watched the song remains the same uh, when I was sixteen. I saw Page playing "Since I've Been Loving You" on that. And I was like, that's that's what I want to do. Like, the, I was playing basketball at the time. It's like you can see the basketball slowly rolling away <laughs> down the hill. <laughs> it's like go pick up a, a, a Les Paul because I mean, yeah, like that that was Page's Page's act. So that was what I was all about, and then. Yeah, I, I kept kind of doing like the blues rock shred thing. Um, but then I started getting into guys like The Edge who had a Strat. So then I got a Strat because it just felt a little bit more textural. And the Jazzmaster, again, I, I love the way it looked, but just from like, again, the Johnny Marr like sense that I was getting, I really want, I felt like it was, if I wanted to turn my guitar into something that was more like a keyboard or just purely textural, I just felt for some reason like it was the thing I should go with. And again, it was something that I, I speculated that and it could have been any guitar because the whole point for me was again to subordinate it to whatever we were doing so it could have been a PRS it could have been a Tele it could have been uh, an ES335 which is kind of still my white whale that's my dream guitar but um, I just landed on these and it just feels right you know like the, the, the offset body just feels good against mm -hmm. my body um, I just like the way it fits I like the larger headstocks um, the headstock on this is kind of cool just because they did the laser etched Fender logo on there, which is just like this you know, nice little addition to it. But yeah, um, in the studio, I mess around with everything. I mean, I, I think on, on, on Circles, the last record, I must have cycled through 30, 25, 30 wow. different guitars, sometimes three or four guitars on one song. Um, so. Yeah, but but live, there's just something. There's there's some attachment I've developed to offsets, and uh, it's it's going to be hard to hard to let that go if I ever decide. Totally, to and and then also how you write and perform. Is it was it always your vision to be that the mattress or the pizza crust of the band, or is that just kind of how it worked out? That's yeah, it's just kind of worked out organically that way. Um, we you know we cut our chops. You know we were on tour for six or seven years just you know meeting different people playing with different bands trying to not play with just bands of the same genre but stretch out and you know play with guys like you know, our core family was always junius and constance and they had these really vibey atmospheric elements but they were coming from you know new wave prog all this different stuff and getting feedback from them about what we were doing like things that we couldn't necessarily ascertain sonically because we're so immersed in, in our music that sometimes you can't really get that distance to be like, okay, what are we actually accomplishing frequency-wise here, sonically here? And our, our friends were, you know, they would help sort of partition it and for me to whittle it down. When I realized that that's what I was doing, I think, you know, Tertia came along in 2009 and that's when I really went for just like as much heavy, full-on metal zone, mid-range distortion that I could possibly do. And it was fun, and I'd do that from time to time. But then it, from there, like I couldn't, I couldn't commit more to like heavy distortion, 
low range sludginess and I'm proud that we did that for that but I'm always trying to find new sounds and, and expand from there but it's yeah. funny too because like waking season is a, almost probably a reaction to that heaviness is because it's it's a lot more calmer yeah 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 waking season is I knew that we had a, a duty to ourselves I mean not to anyone not, not even to our fans but just to ourselves as artists to really try to expand the palette and I did that with um, my Korg micro sampler. Like that thing was so foundational and central in everything that I was trying to accomplish on my end for that record. Just taking sounds, splitting them up, chopping them up, um, getting little like slices here and there of just found sounds and, and whatever it may be. And that really opened a whole new portal in my mind to um, texture and sonics and, and sampling. So I didn't really step away from the guitar on that record but that was definitely my primary focus and of course that was well that was Aaron's second record with us but Aaron was really comfortable on waking season just articulating I mean Aaron's by far the most phenomenal guitarist in this band I mean that guy is just he can play circles around anyone um, but he's also really tasteful so while he was on this upward ascent of really just finding his voice on the guitar it was great because I got to step back a little and sort of explore some some different textures and sonics with electronics. So that was really fun for me. But I've I've slowly come back to to uh, to the guitar. I think, especially on the last record, I really just well, man, I I, I want to go in order of the command of you know amp or uh, guitar amp pedals. But it makes me want to ask what on on circles inspired your gear wise because I know that for uh, dust. And Disquiet, you, you, you had mentioned that you really bonded with uh, the Strymon, El Capistan. And so, yes, was there, was there anything like that, this yeah. go-around with, with On Circles, gear-wise, that really propelled your ideas and, and the, the album forward? That's a really, really good question. I spent a lot of time trying to find something that was akin to that signature sound that I felt I'd found for myself on Dust which was the warbly Strymon thing that I kind of mm -hmm. stumbled across. And I, I don't know if I found it. Um, I think I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't quit or let go of the chase, so to speak, of trying to find a signature sound. I think it just kind of ended up, for me, being like an amalgamation of a lot of the stuff I'd done over all of our records. So, I mean, I used, a lot, I used Phaser for the first time. I've never used Phase on a Caspian mm -hmm. record. Um, that walrus, that Lillian, that walrus makes is amazing. So that was like a fun new sound, but I didn't overuse it. Um, it was, On Circles was such a collaborative, democratic effort that I really didn't feel like I needed to find something that was as signature or as um, expressive, singularly of what I was going for sonically on that, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. So. Yeah, I, I think looking back on it, I guess it was, I kind of amalgamated a lot of different sounds that I had been going for uh, on all our previous records, but I think the real detour on that album was how we were approaching song structure and what we were trying to do with an album and sort of diffusing a lot of the preciousness that maybe had sort of been, you know, embroiled in what we were doing prior to that. But that that's a bit more like philosophical and sort of construction, like just in terms of like constructing the songs in the album and not necessarily with my tone. I think for my tone, I kind of did what I was familiar with 
I challenged myself a little bit, but the name of the game for me wasn't about like totally reinventing my wheel. It was just sort of sticking to what, um, sticking to what I know and just sort of, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there, but that's sort of, again, that's like the, the potted version. Of yeah, it, you know Phil, and uh, before we move on to amps, I see the twin reverb uh, peeking in the corner there. Do we have any other guitars that you want to talk about, or is it just the two primary jazz masters? <laughs> just the two, man. Yeah. I get um, it. All yeah. right, well, talk to me. Well, I have a, what were you going to say? Yeah. Oh, no, I got, I got a couple acoustics at home, but um, I didn't use them for the record, and they're just there to sort of mess around with and just write melodies and just, you know, keep my chops up type stuff. So oh. I didn't bring them down. But, well, understandable. Yeah. I, I see the twin yeah, reverb yeah. peeking out. I know that you've played Marshalls. I've seen, you know, you've been associated with Ampeg, Dual Rex, uh, twin reverb, obviously. But uh, yeah. what makes you go currently with the twin reverb? Again, I don't know if there, there's got to be a, a name for this or a term for this. But, like, if I, <laughs> if I find something, I guess I just stick with it and I, like, beat the crap out of it until it, like, it's still standing this thing somehow I gutted the twin so this is functioning as just a head um, there are no speakers I, I pulled the speakers out and again to get back to that low mid range thing that I was talking about earlier the only way I could really achieve that was going into the 412 of the Marshall so it's the four Celestians that came stock with it never replaced the speakers somehow haven't ripped them which I find odd and again, you got to keep in mind, I mean, half of our shows are in North America, 40% uh, 30% of them are in Europe, and then the other 20% are in Asia. So half of our gigs, like we're getting back lines. And that's when I can sort of splurge and get like my mm -hmm. dream stuff. Like I'll get orange rock verb 100s over there, I'll get orange cabs. Um, but I, I love those amps. But again, when it comes to our North American stuff, I mean, yeah, they've just sort of been with me forever. As you can tell, I haven't changed the grill at all um, on the cab. It's got its battle scars, and I kind of like that about it. Like, I can remember where some of these rips happens. Like, I remember the gig. I remember, like, what it smelled like. I remember who did it, how it felt, how it happens. And I kind of like being reminded of that. I don't, I don't need it it's to like be, Jaws. like, this beautiful... Uh, that scene in Jaws where they're all trading <laughs> exactly. war stories and bite marks and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or what is it? Uh, what's that? Remember that sequence from the first season of yeah, True Detective? Yeah. Have you seen True Detective? Where Rust and Marty get in that fight outside of the police station, and Marty kicks the back headlight of his of Rust's truck out, and then they meet up again twenty years later, and the headlight's still <laughs> yeah. broken. You know what I'm saying? Because he wants he wants to remember that like encounter that they yeah. had. It never gets it fixed. I'm kind of like I'm kind of like that with with these uh, with the Fender and the Marshall. So uh, they've they've served me really well. I could have cut the Fender down and turned it into just a head, and it could have been more portable and saved some real estate in the trailer. But it looks cooler when we have that wall of Fender twins on stage. So again, it's just an aesthetic thing. Is that, is that you know part of the, the equation too, tonally, that you guys all synced up with twin reverbs? Or is that is that just kind of happenstance? I was, I, I think, I, I, can't, I can't recall. Um, Aaron may have, I think when Aaron joined Caspian, he got a twin. And I was always preaching the gospel of, I, I preach the gospel of a twin, a 65 twin reverb to anyone, especially people that are doing this kind of music, because it's, I mean, it is the loudest amp 
I've never heard a louder amp in my life. Um, it can get up there, you know, especially between, especially between three and five. That's where you're really pushing it. You get over five and you've already reached terminal velocity and you're not going to yeah. get, you know what I'm saying? But you get between three and five and you push those six L sixes and it's just, it's a holy sound. Um, and uh, yeah, Johnny was a Vox guy for a while. And then he defected Defender. I mean, he still has his Voxes. He's using them in the studio. But, Edge, he was a Vox um, guy. He, he yeah, is a signature vendor now. I, I, I saw that that uh, that Edge, um, that rum, rum of Edge amps or whatever. <laughs> like, that dude's a psycho. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Phil, this is probably what everyone's been waiting for. I know I've been waiting for this time of the video is to talk about pedals because I know that you guys all use pedals in a very artistic, creative way. But I think before we actually get into your pedal board, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the gateway drug that is the DL4 to your history. Because I remember hearing about an interview where you kind of yeah. were doing the rock and roll thing, the blues, not blues, but like chorus, you know, it's typical music. And then I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, I mean, the DL4 to me is the, it's the original inspiration machine. I mean, that was, I know there were loopers around prior to that. There was probably like a Digitech Jam Man, and there were some other like proto-loopers. But obviously, you know, opening up that trap door to double time, half time, reverse, uh, and also the decay function on that, there was just something that was inherently creative about that looper that I know, you know, my friend Dave and Minus the Bear, like he basically took that pedal yeah. to a whole entire other level. Um, but that was that was there to provide, you know, I know Strymon calls the uh, timeline an inspiration machine and I have a timeline on my board and I love it. And it is definitely that in terms of all the colors you can get from the delays on it. But the DL4 to me, I mean, how many how many delay sounds did that thing have, man? Like 18, 20? I mean, it was it was stacked, and there was just there was really nothing like that pedal around at the time that I can remember. So yeah, I mean, I was in a band before Caspian with some really good friends of mine, and you know we were doing this kind of alt rock indie rock thing, and I wasn't soloing, but I was I was shredding and I was starting to un like get into textures a little bit, and. Um, the drummer of that, the drummer of that band, a really good friend of mine named Eric Needs, and I, after band practice and on our own time, you know, back when you're just swollen with ambition and all you want to do is play music, we would get together and just the two of us, and it was some like, it was some like post-rock white stripes thing or something because like, I was learning how to loop and get weird and like, I don't know, cut things up and whatever but i was also like kind of had these bluesy riffs underneath it and he was just beating the smack out of his drums like he was he was a total beast and that was where i was like dang you, you can write songs you can like learn how to to me it just opened up a completely different portal in my mind and like how you can play the guitar what you can do with it um it was it was a really spectacular encounter for me with that pedal and i still think and you know, I'd love to have this discussion, and Lord knows I've had it hundreds of times on tour over the years. But I think that DL4 will probably go down as you know one of the most important pedals for guitarists who are trying to make anything remotely atmospheric. You know, um, anyone who's trying to you know explore texture, get spacey, uh, all that stuff. 
Um, the DL4 to me is just a, is a completely like it's an original uh, original issue. Like that's 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 the pedal to me. You know what I'm saying? That said, uh, I mean I went through seven or eight of them because they constantly broke and like they weren't made very well, um, and they certainly weren't durable. And I think everyone has found a hack for a DL4 where, you know, what have you heard of this thing where it's like there's one chip in it that if you touch with like a Q-tip or something and then put it back in, like all of a sudden like resurrects and come back comes back to life. Like there's weird Reddit hacks for DL4s that you know everyone in my band has found found hundreds of them. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But I had to let it go and. Um, I've found that, I mean, I'll get to the X4. I have a Ditto X4 on my board now, and it takes up a lot of real estate, but the thing is super durable, and it has even, it has even more functions than the DL4 does for looping. So, I mean, I've become especially attached to the X4 now. I think TC Electronics doing some cool stuff, and the X4 to me is like, it's just a, it's just a great loop pedal, but... Yeah, I mean, that, without the DL4, man, I, I don't, I don't really think I'd be sitting. It's, is this kind of what you'd be touring with? Is this what you would consider a touring pedal board? Yeah, yeah, this is my tour board. Um, I haven't changed anything on this since our last gig, which was mid-February out in Long Beach. So, so talk us. Yeah, um, as you can tell, yeah, let's go. I mean, the thing about my board is that. It's obviously, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of pedals, it's big. But to me, and just even in terms of the signal flow, like it's fairly Spartan. Like I don't have effects chains. I don't have like different effects loops. Like it's a pretty straightforward, like, dirts, looper, delays, reverb. And like, that's it. Like, I mean, it looks complicated, but it's really not. I mean, I've seen boards that are just make this look like paltry and, and silly. So anyways, I can get what I want out of it. Um, yeah, so the Mel 9 I got uh, in Chicago at Chicago Music Exchange when we were on tour with Under Oath four years ago. A Mellotron is, you know, I, you're, I'll be hard pressed to find an instrument I enjoy more. And, you know, I had seen the demos for it. The people demoing it, you know, were shredding and like... <laughs> Doing all that like crazy like acrobatic guitar stuff, which I don't do. I mean, I can't do that. Um, but I knew that once again. I, I I feel like there was a kernel of me once again taking it and like bringing it into what I wanted to do with it. So one of those things is, I mean, a lot of my droney stuff, you know, without the Mel Nine. Um, Kind of get that sound, but then if you add, if, you know, same reverb settings. I mean, you just get it automatically just gets incredibly ethereal, and there's just there's there's certain something about fusing that that Mel 9 through through reverbs and turning it into a drone machine, which I know like, you know, there's some parts on the last record where I would use it for melodic stuff. Like. like I, I, 
doubled that. That's the song Collapser from our last record, and I think I had four guitar tracks going over that section. It sounds huge. I have that noted because of that. It's that song in particular is huge. I was wondering like how you did that, and if there's anything like tuning-wise that makes it that it's it's dense. Well, it, yeah, it, it's drop C, so that's the first. Besides Castle's high marble bright, which is C major, um, we that's the second song we've ever written in drop C. Arcs of Command is also in drop C, but it's in D, so we do hit that low C sometimes. But um, yeah, Collapser, Collapser's drop C, and a lot of the stuff that I'm doing on guitar would for that song would be really difficult mm. to illustrate right now just because it's so stacked. You know, like I, I have my straight, I mean, my nasty. That, you know, super face melty, but I also have that doubled with a bunch of, like, like two or three different Mel 9 tracks. So I, I, I like doubling it and using it and sort of blending it in with heavier tones or clean tones or whatever, so that it's not just a pure signal from the Mel 9, but it's kind of bouncing off, um, bouncing off like a more organic, traditional tone. But also when it comes to drones and just little things, I mean, it's just a, it's just a phenomenal pedal. I've heard that you're supposed to have that first in your signal chain, so that's where it is right now. I've never really experimented where, you know, putting it last or middle or whatever, but it seems to work great as a first. So yeah, I love that thing. And then th that all goes in, that, my next pedal up is a Boss uh, GE7, one of their EQ pedals. That's an always-on for me, and super bonehead, easy, simple pedal. I find that I'm really down there in sound check with that pedal. I, I find like it's really good to sculpt that to specific rooms. The, the EQ is just really sensitive. It's really straightforward. Do you have a sweet spot for it, or is it literally just something you kind of hit the sliders because of the venues? Very, it's very subtle on the EQ, like just usually a, a touch of lows, a touch of highs. I never bust the mids on it, but uh, I, I do use the, the level option on the far right to give it just a little bit of clean boost, so you know. Without it, it's you know. Warmer, a little bit, you know, especially when it when it comes to these pickups. Um, I feel like they need that little extra massage of EQ sometimes. And from there, I go into uh, well, Electro Harmonics Voice Box. Obviously, has nothing. Well, it does have something to do with my guitar in that um, I use it just for one song for Gone and Bloom and Bell from Waking Season, which is one of my favorites to perform. And it's just for the vocoder setting. So that's going through. Uh, you know, that just goes into my into my okay. stage mic. It doesn't affect anything with my guitar. Great pedal though, cool vocoder. And from there, yeah, we go to the dirt. So um, my first distortion, I, I'm always looking for kind of three levels of gain. So like my gain stages are sort of, I, I'm, I'm sure that's quite common. I'm not entirely positive, but um, right now, this is always a floater. Right now on the board, I've got the Strymon Sunset, which I like for a lot of different reasons. I sometimes have a tube screamer in there. I've had the OCD full tone for a while in there. And that to me is, I mean, that, that thing's a shredder and I love that pedal. 
The advantage that the sunset has is that you can get these two, you can get two distortions, either series, parallel, you can blend them in. Um, my, my level, uh, my level one is just the A setting, so clean, I'm just... Really just brighten, brightens things up, starts to bring it up a little bit to the next level. The cone of the frequency on it is still wide, so I like that. And then, you know, the B setting of it is just a little bit more... It's, it's more blown out. Now you can change whether the B is going into the A or the A is feeding into the B on this. Right now I have the A as the bass line and that's feeding into the B so the B is breaking up around the A which I, I like it, you know, it's like... It's, it's, it's cool, like... The sunset is very good, much like the OCD, it's really good at retaining a lot of clarity. Um, you know, getting those crispy, like... And that's obviously, if you know, for a level two distortion where you're not trying to blow people's faces off, but you're definitely trying to jump up and you're doing some more like articulate stuff, you gotta have that. And I feel like the Sunset does that pretty well, but who knows? I mean, that could be out of the mix next tour, next week, two years, like I have no idea, it's just kind of whatever. So I, I like that pedal, I'm looking forward to playing it more, I've only had it on this last tour which was only three weeks long, so. Um, from there I'm going into the Empress Heavy. This also, now when I'm talking earlier about that low mid-range thing, I've had everything from, and this is a true story, I, I was actually a huge fan of Boss Metal Zones for a long time. Like I was that guy, I was, I, before Trees, Tertia, that was all a boss metal zone. Like, no one no one believes me because the pedal has such a bad rap, but um, I was able to take the scoop mid-range on that and have it do what I wanted it to do. So, I love that pedal. I got a lot of flack for it, obviously, because it's just like a meme in a box now or something. But, like, um, this Empress Heavy, though, really is, I mean, uh, again, anyone watching this video, um, I'm always open to suggestions for anything that really gets to like that level of just, you know, that massive third stage. The Empress has two settings on it. The, the left one I use for, I mean, the difference is, is kind of subtle. It's a little bit lower, but... It's not all that different than the B setting I have on the Strymon, Strime is a little bluesier, this is a little more metal. I the right setting, uh, so the second setting on the on the uh, Empress Heavy is that's my that's my big boy. So when I hit that, it's just like I'm a, I'm a pedal board peaker, and uh, I've seen you guys live. Is is that replaced? I know that you mentioned the boss pedals, but 
I know before that you've had the Metal Muff from EHX and the Sans yeah. amp. Is that yeah. kind of where the heavy's sitting or is that different? Yeah, so Aaron Aaron had the Sans amp, he still has it. Um, and that, I mean, that pedal to me is Aaron Burkbrand. I mean, I think he's had that for at least 13 wow. years or something. And it, it works perfect for him. I never really had a lot of luck with it. The Metal Muff I quite liked. I thought that was a great pedal. Um, I just again like I'm always on the I'm always on the hunt I'm always on the chase for a pedal that's doing what I want in that in that realm of things and I like the metal mouth but the heavy I mean the the weight uh, feature on this and then their mid frequency uh, options on the top that really again the problem I have a lot of with with a lot of these pedals is that once you activate those you know super high gains. To me, I just see in my mind like there's a frequency cone that just sort of mm. collapses. It gets really, it gets really narrow, and I gotta keep that. Like it has to retain the width. It has to like keep going. It has to keep. It has to keep spreading and percolating throughout the room. It can't just narrow up. The the mid controls on that really retain the the possibility to keep it wide and big and huge. So that's one of the things I love about the heavy. I, again, I can't really do a lot of super articulated, high, chimey stuff with it, but I, I don't really need to, you know, like... Man, and, and I was going to say, like, even through this, you know, I'm hearing it through Zoom, where hopefully everyone's hearing a better, better quality through the finished product, but... It's. I still hear the jazz master through it, you know. The yeah, yeah. It does again. These these V mod these Fender V mod pickups they really poke through. There's still some um, chime. Which to me, there's still some chime exactly, and I, I like that. But sometimes it's a little too invasive, which is why I, I'm really looking at these Kinman uh, P90 pickups from Australia. I don't know if you've seen those or heard of those, but they're super fat. Apparently, like they're just like a big fat. Uh, beefy P90 tone, but a little bit more modern. So I'm thinking about trying to look into those and check those out. But um, you're right. That's that's. You can even hear that over Zoom, and I'm sure people on the audio can oh, yeah. hear, hear it even clearer. But yeah, it still it still pokes out, right? Like. Yeah, they're, they're sharp pickups. Yeah, I was gonna say because even though it's through that, and I can't see what guitar you're playing. I can still hear that they're single coils. Yeah, I can still hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love the pedal, but again, I'm always open to suggestions. So if anyone has a suggestion, just you know, hit it in the comments. So um, what's stage three? Or or feel free to send me a message. Oh, that was supposed to be oh, stage three. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But so I have this. Uh, I'm I'm always running that with the level one okay. of the Strymon. So that's always on as a bass, as a coding.
bonkers, but um, I, I dig yeah, it. Yeah, I love bonkers, man. Again, always on the hunt. So, <laughs> 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 who, who who doesn't really, you know? Yeah. All right, so from there, simple Ernie Ball volume pedal. Uh, they're one of the few companies that's really stepped up to uh, sponsor, endorse, support us. They're great. Tim at Ernie Ball is awesome. Everyone over there is is, is cool. I'm running Ernie Ball. Uh, beefy slinkies, by the way, on all my guitars. So it's a 52 bottom, 11 top. Uh, I can't really bend with them, but I don't really bend anything with cast. I was going to so. ask because it, yeah. a band like you guys are so so strong in dynamics is when it comes to the volume play interplay. Is did you ever try to use the the volume on your uh, guitars, or was it more a visceral thing where you were more performing and you need the foot pedal to better harness the dynamics? I, I, it was always there if I needed it, and I got it for that initial purpose, but yeah, I never really used okay. it for that. Uh, I know Cal, Cal was using, that for, using it for that purpose a little bit more back in the day, but I never really got there. Uh, it was either just to, to swell in, you know, I mean, it's, it's there just so that I can do these, you know. That is, to me, in a lot of ways, like, that's yeah. just post-rock to me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like... Get some crazy droniness going on with that, then... players use it a lot of my friends in hardcore bands use it for dynamics and volume shifts but that was never really my never really my jam so yeah uh, I got a polytune tuner super straightforward um, okay from there yeah I'm going into the x4 the x4 I mean I could talk about forever but I, I really I don't want to get too carried away with that pedal I think most people most people are familiar with what this does Again, I, I have to have a loop pedal that does double time. That's just, I mean, that's. It's just, I mean, that's the Dave Newton in me worship all the time. But I mean, that sound, yeah, that sound has a lot of like nostalgic resonance for me. So I have to have that. I do use it on a lot of our old stuff, some of our new stuff, but a lot of our older stuff, especially from Four Trees and the Conductor. Um, I love this tape stop feature on the X4. This, I mean, it's just. I mean, I, I was, I had a lot of trouble like. I could have very well overused that on On Circles. I mean, I wanted to end every single song <laughs> with that feature. Um, and luckily, like, you know, Will talked me out of it and like the better angels inside of me got, got the best. You love tape yeah. emulation and tape manipulation between that and the LCAP. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that was that signature sound that I was able to find that once again, I mean, anytime you're doing music, I mean, you're trying, you're doing this as a form of self-expression, right? At the end of the day, um, that's why you're chasing tones. 
That's why you're trying to write good songs, put out good records, put on a good live show. I mean, we've all gravitated towards this because it's how we feel best successfully articulating how we feel. And those warbly tape sounds, they're just like, they, they, they possess me with everything, everything, every good memory that I've ever had. Um, sometimes like when I activate that, I can smell my grandparents' house in Florida when I was four years old, or like the middle of an old book, or it just goes on and on. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that tape stop sound, that blew my mind because it, I, I don't know. I love it. And then of course, you know, the L cap, that's what I've been using for the, we'll get there. Um, the hold feature on the X4 is cool. I like that. I, I, I do use that. We're doing for the trilogy from You Are the Conductor a bunch live now. And I have been using it on that. Also, I got to just caveat real fast. I know I'm not like playing a lot of stuff. Uh, it's difficult for me to play a lot of this stuff like by myself because it just it takes a lot of setup and there's a lot of interplay with the rest of the guys that really is important for like what I'm doing. Sometimes like I'm the kind of guy that, you know, when we show up to a venue and there's a front of house guy that we've never met before. Like I'm the guy where he asks for me to play my guitar and he just starts crying because it's so loud and it just makes no sense. And it sounds like to most people objectively, it's just like, what the hell is this man? You know, but then when we all get together and we're all doing what we're doing and that sort of three headed monster with one body that we're trying to accomplish, it starts to make a little bit more sense, but fractured like on our own and fragments it up. Like, it's hard for me to set up a lot of stuff that I do. So just just a little interlude there to apologize for not I feel like out more the only way that we right could have pro properly done this is not even done you guys one at a time at the venue, let's say exit in if it would have been that case this year. But it would have been literally all four of you guys on stage or three depending on how the outfit works at that moment and you're all set up and literally you're walking through the parts and walking through your pedals at that same point because it is so important to your sound and the songs to have everyone going at once, but alas, you know, you're just kind of running the ship right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely, I'm honored to be the envoy for everyone else in the band right now and to try to, to, try to articulate it best I can, but a lot of this stuff, it, it just by itself, <laughs> it sounds kind of silly. Um, so yeah, that's that. Anyway, the X4 does a lot of cool stuff. I love it. Um, it hasn't broke on me yet. Uh, everything that's going on there is great. So fingers crossed that I can keep rolling with that. Again, it takes up a lot of space. It doesn't bother me. Um, all right, so from there, then I'm going into the timeline. Timeline's cool, man. I, I like this pedal. Uh, it has some of the features that the L cap does, but I find that it's not nearly, in terms of like the delay pedal and the tape emulator, um, that's not really in the timeline so much. It's there, but it's not, it's nowhere near as robust as it is with the cap. But right now I've got, let me see, um, I've got seven different presets in here. A lot of these presets are just pretty straight digital delays, um, but they're obviously tempoed. Just to match the beat, so I'm not like just beating the crap out of this tap tempo in all the show. So I can just hit it. I just, I just like having those presets in there. Um, a collapser has kind of like, again, well, this triplet thing that Maserati has done exceptional, like once again, the edge did really well. Uh, I was addicted to that for a long time. Just, you know, the, 
knows that sounds, and I think that from the, from my money, like the Boss DD series, especially the DD7, they did an amazing job at just like a straight, no BS digital delay sound. The Timeline does it really well too. I'm really impressed with like just their straight digital delay, no frills. Um, it's great. I don't know what other settings I've got. Uh, I like their reverse setting. I was gonna ask because I know that was an older. I don't know if you guys yeah. played it. I was gonna ask. That sounds like that's on the Raven. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of that was kind of me trying to go for a, like a Johnny Greenwood thing or something back in the day. And I really, I really like that reverse setting. And you can really tweak it with the mix feature on that like, really well. Um, there, you know, you can do some low key, like my dark field setting. Um, I got some mod reverb on that, and of course the. But. That trail is really cool. Um, I think it's the ice setting on the timeline, but I really like that because it doesn't. It doesn't step too much on the actual note. It preserves the integrity of what you're playing. Just gives it a nice kind of sheen on the backside. So that's cool. Again, just lots of lots of digital settings on here. Um, got some. I mean, fire made flesh. That's all based around. You know, that breakdown is just tr trying to make trying to get the distortion and just the right amount of mix on the digital delay. I mean, it's not rocket science. A lot of the time I'll have, you know, for a preset for a song, I'll have one that has a little bit less delay mix and then one that has a little bit more. So that if the one that's a little bit more tempered and, and rained back, really just isn't popping and slapping back enough in the room that I can go to the preset next to it that's just way more in your face and way more like vibed out. So yeah, I, I'm sure, again, I think a lot of people are using the timeline for way more than I'm using it. Um, <laughs> but I, I like what it does. It's just sort of keeping my digital delay ducks in a row and then some little What about like something that. for like uh, Division Blues? Is that with Timeline or is that more El Cap? Because I know that like that song, kind of like Darkfield, starts very calm and uh, ethereal and ambient. Yeah. And then creates hell at the end. Definitely. So, yeah, that, for that song, that was a lot of the El Cap. Well, that was all. It was all El Cap, but I was using the Walrus Slow Reverb for that, which I don't have on my board right now. I actually borrowed it from Johnny. That pedal is a spectacular reverb pedal. I want it on my board. I just, I just need more space to fit it on. But the modulation of of, of the, I think it's the third setting on that pedal, is just like nothing I've ever heard. I, I used it all over the intro of Division Blues. I use it for Ansra a lot, along with the Lillian Phaser, and 
It's just a phenomenal reverb pedal. I wish I had it right now. I'd love to demo that. Um, we were supposed to meet up with them in Oklahoma City too, and, and do a live taping with them. Oh yeah, Shop Jams. They do. They do a really cool thing where they have uh, yeah. bands perform at the shop. It's awesome. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. Exactly. We we were scheduled to do one of those. I I did have, I. I have been using a mod setting on the Blue Sky a lot more. I never really got into mods until my friend Jake uh, from Defeater, who I'm also in another band with called Dream Tigers, used it really, really well, and like I got kind of into it. It's all Blue Sky, but I, I did have some of that for Division Blues. Another thing with a lot of these songs too is the tunings are just so absurd and out there. I know this happens with a lot of bands and we're no exception, but the more we do, like the further we go into this, the weirder the tunings get. Just to like, when you sit down and you feel like, you know that feeling when you pick up the guitar and your hands just go to the same places and you're doing the same scales and playing the same chords. I mean, my way out of that was to just find strange messed up tunings. And Division Blues is one of those. I can't even remember what the tuning is right now. It's like that demented. I have to write it down on a piece of paper on stage so I can tune up for it. But Do you guys have a lot of, would you say you have, I don't know, on a given show or run of shows, more than five, six tunings on a given night, headlining? Oh, wow. Okay. Every song's a different tuning. For, for me, and we're going everywhere from standard to drop C to drop D with a, you know, high B as a C or an A or the G as an F. It's just insane. It's all over the place. Um, so that's why I have to, yeah. I have the, the RC, the RC3 loop station is basically for just like loops in between songs, just chew up time to tune and stuff like that. So yeah, that's what I have that for. So what's after um, the timeline? Now we get to the El Capistan, so yeah, this is, everyone always asks, you know, what's the one pedal you can't live without, and for me it's, it's really become, it's become the El Cap. Now, with that pedal, and I have a tendency to do this with a lot of my gear, but especially with pedals, I'll buy the pedal, maybe I'll watch a demo of it on YouTube or something, or a friend of mine will play it. But I'm not the kind of guy that like reads through the manual and makes sure that every little, like so I can get my hands around every little feature of it. I'll like throw the box and the manual out and then just see what it does and how it does it and try to find my own sound with it. So the LCAP is a perfect example of that because I don't use it for delay at all. Um, it's just acts as the analog, the tape simulator. And to get that, People have asked me this a Here we lot. Go. I've never let the cat out of the bag, but I'm a, I'm a rig run I'm a rig rundown junkie, and because I'm yeah stoked to be here, I'll just go for it. But it's basically um, I know you guys will include a photo, but everything the the flutter uh, the age is is peaked. It's all dimed. The repeats are completely at zero and that's so that obviously the delay goes bye-bye but the mix is cranked and when you crank the mix all you're getting clean you're getting you're getting just a straight warble you're not getting you're not getting trails 
you're not like uh, that was when, when I figured that you could crank that mix have the repeats all the way down um, and then of course yeah you gotta have the time dimed out so that it's just going so fast that there essentially is no delay um, yeah I, I think I, I started to discover that on for the song Priscillus off Waking Season but then Dust was yeah full-on commitment to that sound so you know at the end of Rio Seco nothing crazy it's not it's not rocket science but that pedal it just I mean that's that's kind of all I've really ever been looking for tonally with a guitar pedal and it was a total ac kind of an accident I wasn't expecting it to do that I wanted to have a cool tape delay pedal because it was a cool thing to have around 2011 mm -hmm. or 2012 when I got that but when I stumbled across that it just there was that immediate like animalistic connection with that thing. So I mean dry obviously you know beautifully fractured but then again like the Mel 9 you start droning out with it and so that's a drone with it. Here's a drone without it. Obviously it's just clearer and sharper. certain certain something to it that I'm a huge fan of so yeah that's what I'm doing with the L cap no delay just a tape sim obviously the warbles and stuff on the El Capistan are, are totally random I guess and if you double click down you know you open up three other sets of parameters or something with those low three can't really remember at the moment but there's also a reverb hidden in there everyone who owns the pedal knows this but I'm really not accessing those other parameters. It can just all be done with these five and then these two uh, toggles in these positions. So. so from there, I'm going into the Blue Sky. Blue Sky was the first Strymon pedal I got. And once I got that, as you can tell, they sort of ended up colonizing like my entire board here. <laughs> I think like, like five Strymon pedals is ridiculous. Um, incredible reverb pedal I mean I've played with the big sky and that's fun but to me I, I don't need a lot of those sounds as as people who have it know you know there's your live on the go sound right now I have that as a mod a mod reverb which I quite like but um, my favorite setting for it is this basically this is like a, a drone in a box mix level cranks repeat level cranks. I always mess around with the um, the pre-delay on it a little bit. It just gives it some different characteristics sometimes, but I mean, that's how I get, you know. Once you turn that, 
once you turn the setting off, you can obviously keep the setting so that it just keeps going. And there's like not an infinite decay, but a pretty long one. And you can start that has to be a big part of uh, Gone in Bloom too, right? The blue sky. Huge. Absolutely. So, you know what? I'll, I'll show you a little trick that I do for that song. And I, I really like, I, I kind of like this trick. Um, so I'll set up a loop here and I'll kind of show you what I do on that. So I start with the effects. So the effect is on, but the mix is at zero. So it's essentially doing nothing. But I'll record the loop. I know you can also do that with an expression pedal. I'm sure you can do it with an expression pedal. I just like doing it it's manually. Funny how, There's like pedals themselves, that. but especially something like a Strymon or like a heavy, not digital, because I know some of their stuff they just angle up, but it, it's, it's a powerhouse, become instruments themselves. Absolutely. Without, without a doubt. That's really well said, man. Yeah, there's... Again, I, a lot of their pedals are not necessarily designed for the way that I and some others use them, and I think that's that's really cool. You know, it speaks to the versatility of of what's going on under the hood with those. So, yeah, I love the blue sky. Finally, I got the flint. Uh, the reverb setting on the flint is not an always on because when I'm riffing, I, I get rid of it. But when I just want my basic, it's just there. Not in your face, not drony, just normal reverb. That's just what I'm going for with the flint. I mean, it's great at that. So, I mean, again, that's not like a rocket science reverb for me. I, you can also do some crazy stuff. You can't really get as carried away with it as the blue sky or the big sky, but I really like having just a dependable go-to uh, reverb. Tremolo on it, I've been, I've been using a lot more. I used it on um, my parts for Ishmael on the new record. Um, just a great, like... Cool reverb. I know there are, uh, or sorry, tremolo. I know there are tremolo pedals that can do bonkers things. And I just, maybe it's cool studio fun, but again, the producers we work with usually have one of those, so I don't need to go out and spend like $500 on it. I can just get a flint and it does well, what I want it to It's cool that it has both. And then within the tremolo setting, it has, I believe it has the three notches where you can uh, decide between kind of like the, the, the angle of the tremolo. Absolutely. Yeah, I have mine on the uh, 65, 65 photo set, setting right now. And it's always changing around, but I find that that's the sharpest one. Like, I need the sharpest I can get just because 
a lot of the stuff I'm doing is so dreamy and out there that I really needed to cut through and be super precise. So I like the flint. That was a recent addition, but I, I see no reason for that to go anywhere. Um, this black pedal that I have almost towards the end of the chain is just an on-off. Uh, my buddy Joel Boyd from the awesome band Lenin out in Vienna uh, built that for me. The back end of it has a stutter. So I very barely use that just because I can't really reach it, but as an on-off, we have a lot of songs that dramatically just a hard cut with no trail, no nothing. And since there's so many pedals activated, you need that hard cut. Simple, does it great. And you know, the final thing I got right now is just the RC3. RC3 is, I don't even know what's in here right now. I got some weird, let, let's let's see what's, what's buried in here. Um, if anything, anything good. See, just a bunch of pre-recorded drones. sycamore when we play it which is very rare but just little little things like that I got going on in there so nothing bananas I it's also if I'm writing something during soundcheck or at home I'll often save it on that but simple you know, I think I can save up to like a hundred loops or something so there's a lot going on in the RC3 just in terms of storage I appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, as everyone watches this probably during the day or maybe they'll watch this at night. As I said, I'm just a total rig rundown junkie. Everything you guys do is incredible and uh, just yeah, very, very honored to be here, man. Thanks again. And thanks for being super cool with this. I appreciate Killer, it, man. Yeah. All right, everyone, this is Chris Keys. And uh, for Phil, for Caspian, this is uh, another rig rundown. Stay safe.